Good morning, everybody. It's Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show, and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And it's good to have you all with us here. We are going to begin an exploration here that uh, we've talked about some over the last 24 years here mm. on The Mark Steiner Show, but being re-inspired by the Sun series on desegregation, segregation, and what integration might mean in our state schools that have been described as some of the most segregated schools in the United States. Now, of course, legal segregation is over, uh, but we have a different kind of segregation that takes place by where you live, uh, by how schools are structured, uh, by class, and more. And we've seen, like in Baltimore County, one of the most segregated school systems in our state, uh, Baltimore County being historically one of those jurisdictions, and you can yell at me if you want, at 410-319-8888. That has been very white, uh, 90% white back in the day. Uh, now the school system with 56% kids of color, black and Latino kids for the most part, and Asian kids. Um, and within the next 10, 15 years, the county itself will probably be a majority not white. Uh, you have Howard County that has probably the most interracial school system in the state, but they are also confronting all these problems that in many ways are built around implicit racism that is so deep. The question is, how do you get to that and begin to change that? And they've had some ideas. You've got places like Baltimore City, uh, which are segregated by class and race in many deep ways uh, in a school system that's almost entirely African-American, uh, where most of the white kids in the city of school age do not go to public schools. They go to the massive private school system that surrounds this entire metropolitan area. Uh, so it is a, it's a huge problem. So how do we wrestle with this? And is anybody really thinking about it seriously? Well, some people are. So once again, in the studio is uh, our old friend and colleague here, Michael Scott, Chief Equity Officer for Equity Matters, board member of Social Work uh, Community Outreach Service, the Positive Schools Center for center at the University of Maryland School of Social Work. And good to have you back in the studio, Michael. Always good to be here, Mark. We're also joined by Gail Sunderman, who is director of the Maryland Equity Project, senior research scientist in the College of Education. Gail, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us now. Thank you. Glad to be here. Marisol Johnson is with us, and Marisol Johnson is vice chair of the second council district Baltimore County School Board. She's a graduate of the county school system herself, a parent of four county uh, students in county schools, public schools, owner and CEO of Johnson Insurance Team, and an active member in the Parent Teacher Association at Summit Park Elementary. I'm sure the other places as well. And Marisol, welcome. Good to have you. Thank you for having me. And let me move this out of the way so I can actually see you as we're talking since you're not on the phone. And uh, you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. You can write to us here at talk at by email. We want to hear your thoughts and ideas. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner, especially, you know, I know many of you have kids in schools from around the um, around the uh, metropolitan area in Prince George's County, in Montgomery County, Howard, Baltimore City, Baltimore County, and Arundel. We want to hear your thoughts. I mean, anybody, but especially I love to hear from parents um, and uh, teachers, if you're on break, 410-319-8888. If you're not on break and have the whole class listening, uh, tune in, 410-319-8888. So it seems to me that one of the clear issues here um, is that this is an issue that, for the most part, has not really been wrestled with, mm-hmm. the question of desegregation of schools and what it means. Um, before we, I, there's two major issues I want to start with. So one is why we have not wrestled with it, what it means not to have wrestled with it. Um, and the, the, the other is, let's talk, start here. Is the desegregation and or integration, which can be two different things, of our public schools important? If so, who is import, who is important to and why? Michael Scott, I'll let you begin. So yeah, I think I think it's it, you got to start at the beginning, right? And and the beginning is that our values are our budgets, um, our budgets are our values rather. And um, you know we've been segregated a long time. And you talked about the the, the, the private school uh, public school dichotomy. You know, f- uh, schools in this state were founded first. The first school was a friend school in 1784. We didn't get public schools till 45 years later. Right. So we're talking deeply entrenched divide from the beginning. Right. Um, you know, the second thing I'd say is that, you know, when you when you think about the, the segregation, um, the question is, is who benefits and who burdens and how do we how do we think about that? And I don't think that folks are making the connection to their self-interest um, who, who are opting out. And, and as you said, most of the school uh, uh, school age kids that are white are not. 
um, in in public schools in the city. In, in the city. Um, and when you also look at the tracking and the issues in terms of, of suspensions and, and tracking of gifted and talented, you know, even in the schools which are highly integrated, that like Howard County, they have some some deep deeply embedded challenges. So I have to I have to wonder if we actually do want to talk about this stuff. We call it uh, achievement gap instead of racial achievement gap. So I don't I don't think we're really prepared uh, and have the will to, to, to have, have, have dealt with this full on. So we have people already calling in. Clearly this is a subject people want to get into, which I'm very happy about. So I want to get to the phones here early. But but, but the question I, I ask and I really want to get to is, are desegregated interracial schools important? I mean, are they important for our students? And I, I don't just mean, you know, people almost use the, 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 the term that, that it's important for black kids to be with white kids. No, is it, is it important for children to be in interracial schools? Period. Is that, there are a lot of people who would say, and I've argued in the show before, um, s- some black educators saying, we don't care about integration. We just want money for our schools so we can take care of our children. And others are saying, no, that interracial schools make a difference in everybody's life, and they are important. Are they important? I, I think they're completely important. Marisol Johnson. Thank you. Um, I think they're they're very important. You know, we the word segregation, integration, reintegration, I think in my opinion, our generation, I'm 37, we didn't think we would ever have these discussions about segregation again. We thought it was over. And I truly thought it was over. There, was, there wasn't there was an issue until I was I visited, you know, my alma mater, Delaney, and then went to Woodlawn High School and realized that we are very, very segregated. What makes the what makes it important and what makes it valuable is having children of different races. I went to Delaney. I grew up on Anglo Hill off of Saxon Hill. I grew up at the corner of Anglo and Saxon. <laughs> and didn't, didn't even realize at the time. Didn't realize at the time how segregated we were. Yeah, and that that is the truth. I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was one of maybe three Latinas in the entire school um, of uh, my graduating class of 480 or something like that and it it took me years I'm 37 it took me probably till my late 20s to realize that's where I lived that I didn't granted my mom was Puerto Rican we spoke Spanish at home my husband is black I didn't realize how segregated we were and 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 not being around children of other races other socioeconomic classes you get out into the real world the quote-unquote outside of Baltimore County and we're handicapping our children because we're not we're then not making them ready for global thinking and global learning um, I'd like to respond to both of your questions. The first, um, um, why haven't we um, done more about segregation and more integration? Um, <clears throat> the country as a whole has backed away from this very, very early. Um, we had a brief period in the 60s when the courts did enforce desegregation laws. Those pretty much ended in the early 70s when the courts prohibited um, desegregating schools against across district boundaries. So then you got places like Baltimore that was predominantly black and <clears throat> Baltimore County, which was predominantly white at right. the time. So, so up until the um, Parents United decision a few years ago, which even backed away from voluntary desegregation, um, and then if you had in our housing policies, um, uh, we just haven't as a nation um, put much value on it. As to why is it why it's important, um, one of the reasons is um, of all the school reforms that we've tried over the past twenty years, thirty years, accountability. Um, Um, raising standards, testing kids to death. Um, Nothing has been really shown on a large scale to improve our schools. Um, Integration does work. It does improve our schools. Um, And there's plenty plenty of evidence for that, and it doesn't... For whom? For everybody. Um, Black students in integrated schools uh, do well. um, White students do well. as Marcella said, it, it provides you opportunities to interact with other students. I think another reason is schools with, um, um, it, we tend to <laughs> bring more resources to schools that have mm-hmm. white students. So that is one thing that happens with integrated schools. Well, so. let, me, let me split that here, right? Because cause you mentioned black 
uh, uh, educators who want money. And, 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 and we have to acknowledge that integration does not work for everybody, right? If it were working as it could and should work, i.e. it was well-funded, we wouldn't have that defensive posture and mechanism by black folks saying, you know, we need to circle up because this is a toxic place. And so, so I think we have to say that it has the potential to work, but has, as it has played out in, in America, it, it has done great harm. And, and like, so for example, Baltimore County, when my father desegregated that school system as the first black set of black principals, he was doing that at the time that the county executive was formally still marketing the county as a whites-only county. Right. Mm-hmm. So we still live with that legacy, right? The other issue is we punt on, on education. You know why? Because our kids don't have personal responsibility. And so when you start to look at the data, we can't hide behind these, these, these very, you know, sort of uh, Western uh, American concepts, these lies that we tell. And when we see, when we see the outcomes, th- then you get this pushback that integration isn't working for us. And that's where black folks say, hey, we were better off during segregation in terms of our communities building on itself. And so I, I, I think we can do both end and say there's something, there's a hair to split there that says that when we when we had forced segregation, th- there was a uh, asset based approach that was healthy, and um, and integration has not worked for everyone. That said, I am the product of somebody who who does great innovation because of diversity, right? So I know it can work, but what but the truth is that it has not been funded properly, and so therefore it does not work. And so the backlash is there are many black folks who are clear that said, you know what. This 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 is not a pathway that we have a lot of evidence that suggests is legitimate for us. So we're going to figure it out on our own, and so we have to own that too, and 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 understand that one size does not fit all. Even though I prefer, in a holistic sense, if we did fund it well, integration could theoretically what? and has shown so, so, its I mean, examples. It, it, it's also it also that, let me go from the phones here. In the matter of I'll mm-hmm. let you jump right in, okay. and then I'll open the phones. That that um, I mean, I grew up in a generation where, in high school in Baltimore when Baltimore was maybe one-third African-American and growing and the white population diminishing, that the schools we went to, like City, Poly, Western, Eastern, those high schools, Forest Park, uh, other high schools in Baltimore, uh, public schools, were really inter- were interracial schools for a period of maybe six years. They were deeply interracial, right? Um, the leadership of the school, is, I mean, in terms of the student leadership as well as the student body. And, and so, and for all the Im- reasons of implicit and explicit racism in our worlds that disintegrated. Starting in the late 60s, early 70s, it began to fall apart. It tipped. It tipped because white folks left the city because they didn't, didn't want to be in an interracial world and they were terrified, quote unquote, of their property values, the arguments some parents still make in some communities around Baltimore County and other places about why they don't want to have this mixed elementary school being built in Catonsville. I mean, so the, the, those things are still real. So you, you've got to address both the explicit and yep. the implicit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the question, how do we do that? Let's go to the phones and we're going to start wrestling with how we do that. Okay. 410-319-8888. Let's go to Gene in Pikesville. You're on the air. Welcome. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Gene. Uh, yeah, free, freedom of choice, gerrymandering, and busing. They were, you know, the three uh, issues that, I guess, in a sense, uh, the uh, integrationalists won, you know, based on Brown versus the Board of Education. The one that we lost was housing patterns, because the other three were, uh, are, uh, what do you call it, de, de, de jour. You know, you can't make laws and, 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 and segregate but housing patterns, they left that alone, or like I say, we, we lost that one, because now everything, the things that we're talking about, literally, like you said, people move, vote with their feet, they leave uh, mm-hmm. the community. You can have a, 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 a white neighborhood, uh, uh, patterns of white people, where they don't have to integrate, or if you do integrate, you know what I mean, you could have you know 10% black, blah, blah, blah. But basically, when people left the the, uh, the city and left the uh, school system segregated, uh, you know, what do you do? Who do you integrate with? The uh, one lady did mention housing patterns, and the other lady, uh, I'm thinking the other person mentioned something about, uh, uh, you know, what you know, we have segregated schools in, in, in these districts. You know, you can't, you know, go to one district to the other and solve the problem. But if people move in and they have a pattern, uh, you know, based on housing, uh, you know, you can't go in their right. community and you can only, only do it by percentages. So, you know, that that's the problem. We 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 lost how to, housing. The um, the you know uh, the, you know the point I'm making is about you know de, de, de facto 
that if, if it's not a, a they're not breaking the law when you have housing housing patterns, so you can desegregate. So, I'm sorry, uh, you can uh, right, right, right. That's a very powerful point, Gene. And let me let uh, Gail mm-hmm. Sunderman, I think, raise that issue. Let me let Gail start with that, and then we'll before we go back to the phones, we'll let the others chime in as well. People often look at housing segregation as de facto. It just happens because people move because they want to. I think you also have to look at <clears throat> um, policies and actions that have contributed to segregated um, um, communities. Um, during the 70s, there was a lot of real redlining going on that directed people where they could buy or where um, houses. There's um, often, you know, the placement, federal policy, where do you place um, um, low-income housing. Montgomery County has done more than any county to um, uh, include um, uh, mixed-income housing into their housing developments. I think Baltimore lost a chance to do that better than they could with the Port Covington. Um, In a major way. In a major way, yeah. um, which is government policy. Our city council people voted for that and didn't push for more. So there are lots of policies um, and actions that have taken place over the years that has contributed to that. Right, mm. and I think that that we, we could, well, we won't can't get into deeply too deeply mm-hmm. today. But I mean, Baltimore has a toothless inclusionary housing law. And that's <laughs> part of the problem. Is it means nothing. And it's meant nothing. Marisol, are you going to say something? Then we'll open the phones again. Yeah. So, you know, on the system level, when we open the boundary process, we have a policy now that allows our, our um, residents in the county, uh, each school has a few representatives from each county if, you're, if your school is going to be affected by a boundary change. And we did this as a, as a community or as, or as a system to um, offer transparency and, re- and be responsive to the community. But when we allow our parents to have full reign over where the boundary is going to be, it's going to be the pa- parents that are more empowered that have that are they just have the the ability the money to organize and come out to the meetings so when we have children that are living in apartments that pass two elementary schools to go to an elementary school that's already because it's a minority elementary school they're pa- they're passing two white elementary schools to go to a, a not minority to it to a, a school that is is full of children of color we've done something wrong in our boundary in our reboundering system and when we when we create um when we create a partnership with new developments and say, "Okay, well, you guys can develop here, and we will buy and we will help promote your housing," if only if our students go to this particular school because this particular school is full of white students. And again, you have to put, pass another school full of children of color to uh, to, to attend uh, to, to actually to buy from our houses. So, is that at the heart of what the battle was that the Sun wrote about in Catonsville? Yes. Yes, we gave a lot of we get we gave a lot of power to to the parents and to a to a large um, to a very vocal group of parents. Where at Johnny Cake Elementary School, I went to visit the parents there, and um, they they gave up. They felt like they didn't have a voice anymore. So Johnny Cake being predominantly black. Johnny Cake is yes, and and Latino. Right. Um, and so they said, you know what? Just keep our kids with our kids. We don't. We're not sending our kids to a school where they're not wanted. And I was I was in people's living rooms, and I and I respect how much they cared for their children, and how and I've, I like I, like you said, I've got four children, and I would I would fight just as hard for something that I believed in, um, but to I I wouldn't send my child to a school where they weren't welcome either. So. So let me open the phones again here. Um, 410-319-8888, very powerfully said, both ends here. Leo, you're on the air. Welcome. Yes, good morning, Mark Steiner. Good morning, Leo Burroughs. How are you, brother? I'm wonderful, and good morning to all your guests. Uh, I must tell you that at one point in my history, I thought that integration was important. I'm not so sure I think it's important now. I dealt with black children going to school with white children. I don't have a problem with it fundamentally. However... Institutional racism is alive and well in the United States because the vast majority of white people want to keep it that way. Black academic excellence is what we as African people living in America should strive to attain. And it can be done in institutions that are predominantly black or exclusively black. But I didn't know that years ago. Black cultural uh, black heritage and culture are not being taught to the degree necessary to motivate and ensure the economic, political, and educational empowerment of black people. 
And that is why in Baltimore City, you have a white female teacher dominance pattern that exists in the public schools in Baltimore City. You got more white teachers than ever before, and some of them are well-meaning, obviously well-meaning, but they don't know anything about our history, the history of blacks and, and others, and uh, the cuts that our children are falling lower and lower in terms of, of, of the black children, that is, in terms of being able to compete academically and be empowered to survive in a society that is technological and highly competitive. So again, uh, we do what we have to do. Race pride is important to me as an African living in America and black academic excellence, mathematics, STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, extremely important, and we can do it as a people. Black people in America can, can, can achieve that goal with or without integration. So Brother Bros raises a really good point about that, about about implicit bias, but also the normative expectations of black. Like there are so many teachers that just don't understand the history and legacy of black excellence, right? And so what we know from the neuroscience is that when you have high expectations for the for kids of color, that is the great differentiator. And so that's what we're receiving, even in well-resourced schools like Howard County, where, where there's a low expectation for gifted and talented kids. Even where they test, they're starting to be tracked early. And, and you know, we, we see them making some strides in reducing suspensions and increasing gifted and talented but we have to look really at the quality of that scholar life that that life cycle of the scholar to see how they're faring and if the uh, educational su- supplements which they're fighting for out there and in other places are, are are being yielded because we don't have them here in the city I mean my kids twice exceptional the kid's 98th percentile in reading, but his executive functioning is 13th percentile. They didn't test for it until mm-hmm. I presented them with 90 pages of data from both the Center for uh, Talented Youth as well as um, uh, University of Maryland because he had a concussion. So I got all this free neuroscience testing, right? And so, and then when I presented them that, it was just stunned silence. Like, we, yeah, it was like I already know my kid is gifted because he comes from a tradition of black excellence, but you don't have a way of understanding that because it's not in your culture and your ethos. And I think Tracy Roan right here in Morgan uh, wrote in to, and said something really interesting. The other imp- really critical piece in implicit bias is the impact on children's lives. And they're like patients in a hospital. We have a wealth of data in that and how that affects black and brown bodies. But we really don't know. Uh, what what that looks like in terms of of, of, of school systems? We you know we, we know in medical it's like they get undermedicated for plain over medicated in other use, given fewer high tech uh, options. We have no idea what that data looks like for implicit bias for for kids of color with, when the majority of school teachers are white and are not. Uh, socialized or, or 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 competent in understanding black educational excellence, which goes back centuries. So I mean, so the question I think that Leo raised and Jerry and Walter, the next two callers up, we're going to come to you as soon as we come back from break. But I think that again, that's what I'm talking about. Raises the issue of what, how do we address our schools? Does that mean you address schools in Baltimore City differently than you address schools in Baltimore County or Howard County or Caroline County um, because Baltimore is majority African-American and most of the kids in the school, 86% more, are, are, are black. Does that mean you do things differently here than you do in the county? Does that mean that some people would argue that that, county, that metropolitan area of schools should be open to everybody and we need to change the entire dynamic of how we do schools? I mean, so that that to me is, is a very serious question. So we have to get a short break. going to come right back and Marissa, I'll let you jump into that and then, because it looks like you want to jump into that, I'll let you do that. And then Jerry and Walter, the next two callers up, we'll be right back as we address desegregation and segregation in our public schools. Welcome back, folks. We are looking at desegregation in our public schools in the state of Maryland. Uh, First of a number of conversations I hope we have over the coming months. Uh, and this is inspired in part by the series that was written by Erica Green and Liz Bowie in the Baltimore Sun. Uh, and a really, really, really good series, I thought. Um, very thorough, covering Baltimore County Schools, Baltimore City Schools, Howard County Schools, giving a sense of why we have segregated school systems. Are they important to not be segregated? Uh, does that only mean they shouldn't be desegregated uh, in uh, areas that are multiracial? What does that mean for Baltimore City? Uh, and the argument should be out there. We need to have really wrestle with this in a major way. We are here with Dr. Gail Sunderman, who is Director of Maryland Equity Project, Senior Research Scientist at the College of Education, 
University of Maryland College Park. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Michael Scott, Chief Equity Officer of Equity Matters. Uh, Marisol Johnson, Vice Chair of Second District, Second Council District of Baltimore County School Board. And you all are 410-319-8888. And Marisol, you were going to comment before we went to break. I was. So the importance of uh, doing this work in all the counties. I do think that L- every LEA it do- needs to LEA? Um, Jurisdiction, every every okay. Yes. So, Baltimore County does need something different than Baltimore City, and I think the discussions um, from the superintendents, from the school board presidents, um, bringing not necessarily community schools, but cross city county line schools, uh, an integrated school between because we need integration, not just black, white, and brown. We need integration, especially in this this jurisdiction, city and county integration. Um, so that is important. As far as far as the the teachers, you know, I've, I went through 12 years of, of public school and didn't have a teacher that ever looked like me. I never had a Latina or a Latino teacher. But what we need to do is we need to hold our higher ed accountable. We need to make sure that, at, you know, specifically at Towson University, I don't know that they do any cultural competency training for their, educa- for their entire education um, school. We need to have some sort of along with cultural competency, we need to make sure that we're holding them accountable. What's the matriculation rate from freshman year to sophomore year of children of color? A lot, we, not all of us have our parents at home, you know, kindergarten on talking about their alma maters. So we, you know, it's ingrained to go to college for a lot of white students. <clears throat> children of color, their parents might not have gone to college. So it's not ingrained in us. And so if we can hold the, the higher ed accountable, then we can use that data back on the, on the um, grade level. Really so, quick though, Mark, the, the Opportunity Collaborative did a lot of great work mm-hmm. in bringing conversations around housing and workforce and, and some other things. You know, the only thing that they couldn't do is actually have the education conversation. So the seven regional councils could not bring themselves, the, 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 the executives, the plant, they could not bring, mm-hmm. we do not have that muscle developed. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's worth saying that we're going to have to develop that muscle, but we've, we've not done that work yet. Gail, you were going to say? Um, any kind of cultural competency training is obviously useful, but I think we have to go beyond that in terms of of what happens in the classroom. We really, um, Baltimore County and Baltimore City are very different because Baltimore public schools are not only primarily minority, but also primarily low income, which really complicates, makes education much more difficult. Um, if you start looking at um, what are the pedagogical skills that teachers need to better um, bring in the kind of curriculum, the kind of relationship building um, that um, minority and low-income students le- uh, need? That w- that's developing their knowledge and skills um, of, h- of how better to teach students in, um, in these schools. There's other things that you can do at the school level, too, <clears throat> there's um, uh, provide teachers with better um, um, understanding of how to handle discipline problems. We know also that um, suspension rates for minority students, particularly um, boys, are much higher than for white students. Mm-hmm. And that relates to, um, well, biases. Um, um, but if you if you just let that happen, and I think um, Maryland at one time had a really uh, made some positive moves towards improving their discipline policy. I think they've kind of backed away from that. So, so I, I, there are a couple of things I really want to get into here that, that, that I think are really important in the time we have today, um, and which has to do with what's going on in Howard County, which is <coughs> a very <coughs> interracial county, um, and the school system reflects that but also the problems inside the schools can reflect that. But let me go to the phones. I'm going to come right back to that. 410, because it has to do with implicit bias and how you get under that to change the nature of what happens in schools. 410-319-8888 is the number here. Jerry, you're on the air. Welcome. Hi, Mark. Um, thank you for having me. I, Thanks for um, calling. Jerry Peek. I run a currently on hiatus um, high school founded by students in the city. Oh, Jerry, uh-huh. yes. How are you? Yeah, that's Gary. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, and um, wow, such a moving target. There's so many things happening. I think I want I, the issue of implicit bias. I'd like to tie it back to um, a couple of notions about segregated space versus integrated space. So, 
we have these arguments in dichotomies, like it's either this solution or that solution. Segregated space is safe space. The um, U.S. environment and therefore Baltimore's environment is not safe space for people of African descent or more recent African descent. And when we look at safe space solutions, we're looking at a place where we can actually be educated without the presumptions of implicit bias because we refuse to address the impact of racism and class training that whites have been given and try to address that. You know, dealing with race is about fixing people of color for this That's society right. in general. Right. It's not about recognizing that there are patterns of behavior that have been ingrained into people to keep right. each of us in our places. So when we talk about segregated space, for me, that's creating safe space to actually learn. The problem I see as someone who has created a school that's trying to transcend these models, and yes, it was an independent school. How do you make a school in three months and make it public? You can't. Um, but that space, what we we're trying to do is provide a place where young people can learn the truth about our relationships and interactions and work on transforming their capacities so that they can be the kind of people who can function in, in either kind of space and benefit one another, which is what we're trying, the proxy of integrated space is trying to have a unified humanity. But we have to do the work first internally and socially and system-wise to do that. Otherwise, throwing children together, allow them a place to practice their implicit biases, perfect them, and take them with them into the world. So, go ahead, Jay. <laughs> I know we, have, we only have a limited amount of time. I'm sorry, but go ahead, finish your thought. Yeah, no, that's good. I want to leave it there. All right, cool. And I'll call you and get you on this program next time we do this conversation. So let me throw a wrinkle in here. Sure. So, and the wrinkle is a conversation we had in this show, I guess it was six months ago. I can't remember exactly when. Things gel sometimes in my brain, so many shows. But we heard the story from a, 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 a school teacher in Prince George's County when we were interviewing school teachers around the state, which she said, he said, um, that, yeah, they're in a battle with his school now because inside of his school system in Prince George's County, which is a majority African-American, there was a battle because the upper middle class black neighborhood did not want to have mm -hmm. kids from the poor working class black neighborhood uh, a, a couple miles away be in the same school with their kids. Right. Mm -hmm. so, 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 yeah. so, I'm, so I'm just taking Jerry Pete who I – Deeply respect for her work. Yeah. She's an amazing educator. Absolutely. But I'm taking what she just said and kind of complicating that but, issue with class. But it's not really complicated, Max. If you have a it is complicated. Uh, no, no, no. Listen. If you have a clear, uh, see, see, that's the difference between cultural competency and anti-racism, right? And and like, so it, it, I'm really fine with cultural competency if we're if the if the culture we're examining is the great unexamined whiteness. Like we don't examine how whiteness dehumanizes white folks, right? And so they bring that dehumanization into the classroom. And so the way it dehumanizes people of color is that they have internalized racial oppression in terms of inferiority, and so it shows up like distancing. Except I would also right, argue that, 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 that white upper-class parents don't want their kids going to school with white poor kids, well, period. That's, I mean, the, that's the same thing. But that's, but that's, <laughs> that's internalized racial oppression in the no, form of— No, that's class. No, no, hear me. That's class. It's internalized racial oppression in the form of superiority— and that psychological marker is distancing too. They well, want to distance themselves from class. I think you're making it much too complex. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> I really do. it's a I mean, simple it's a simple race analysis. But I, we don't there's two have things it here. One has to do with the fact that yes, race and racism are white people's problems in America. Ours too. But, no, but, but, but and, what and I mean by that is the issue of why our schools are segregated. Yeah. have to do with white racism and the racism of this white world <laughs> that we are in here in America that have caused segregation to exist. And my point is, is that when people came here, they weren't white. They were Irish, Italian, Jewish, whatever, right? And they became white. And that construction of whiteness dehumanized. They gave up their culture to become white. And so, and so we never examined that, Mark. Right, and, and so, and, right. And, and it dehumanizes white was white at the people. corner of Anglo and Saxon. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. right, right, right. But, right. But, but it dehumanizes people of color in a different right. way, but in a similar Absolutely. way. And, and the two right. dance together. And, and most of us don't, so, so don't the, get that clear. The question is, again, I think that, that what what our friend raised here is the question we asked in the very beginning of the program, is desegregation important? And what do we mean by integration? And is that important or is it not? 
So I think we have to look at it. It's almost like segregation 2.0. So it's not just black and white anymore. It's black, white, brown, socioeconomic. Um, did you come from the east side in Baltimore County, the east side or the west side? So if we can integrate, it's not. we have to expand it, expand our discussion, expand our minds past just black and white uh, because we're not in a just a black and white society anymore. No, we are not. Well, yeah, I think... The racism around African, African descended people is what built this country and builds the consciousness of this country, mm-hmm. no matter who you are. Um, she made a very good point about it, we're increasingly diverse. Maryland is one of the most diverse states in the, in the country, um, and poverty is increasing um, tremendously, which, is an, as you pointed out, is another part of this. Um, you know, I guess I would like to point out integration... Benefits white people. They need to. <laughs> Important. They that's that's why I'm trying to, to get to that point. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, they need to learn about other cultures, learn uh, not to be all the things that you said, afraid, all of that. Um, and in integrated schools, they have that opportunity. Um, so, not that whites need more advantage, but if we're going to, you know, deal with some of these divides and divisiveness we have in our country, we can't keep moving apart. And I would argue that white people need a lot of learning. <laughs> I say we need so. to desegregate resources and integrate opportunity. That's what we need. We need to desegregate resources and integrate opportunity, right? And the other interesting thing is that and, and I, I refuse to use the word minority because it's, it's, a, it's a description of poverty. It's, it's mathematically impossible to have a majority minority. It is, you're saying something about power right, when you right, say that, right? Right, right, so, right, right, so, right. So it's a, it's a new majority. It's a majority of people of color. And that really poses an interesting question, right? Because your experience growing up in the 60s when it was, was integrating, the baseline was white. Now the baseline is people of color. And so we, for the first right. time, have a majority people of color school system. And what's the first thing that they did in this administration? Put someone hell-bent on destroying it, right? So we're in a, we're in a twilight zone era. This is a, a p- Part of my concern is ever since the New Year, I've been, every room I go in, I say, listen, have you had your clean slate conversation as if you're a, a new colony? <laughs> because cause you can't so, assume any of the past is going to be relevant for this new world. So I'm going to come back to where we... I'm going to go back inside to the just clearly focusing in on where schools are today. Uh, but let's go to the phones of 410-319-8888. And Walter, you're on the air. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, brother. How are you? Very well. Good morning. And I agree with your guest and uh, your callers. Two things real quick. Sure. When we last spoke on education, I, I run on a rant about that fool, Hogan, ref- <laughs> refusing to invest in the Baltimore City Prince. I remember the call, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> then the other day, the clown gave up less than the money that was al- allocated for the school system. You saw that, right? I saw that. $23 million, but there was uh, almost three times that, uh, that amount allocated last year for the Baltimore City Schools. And money can change things if it's fairly, as the brother just said, uh, uh, extended. The economic injustice and the for-profit motive, not, I'm not going to go on charter schools, but of this clown that they just put in front of the, uh, in charge of the Department of Education, demonstrates separate and continued inequality. I am convinced that my opinion on chartered schools will never change, but chartered schools will because the failures to perform that they have, you know, notice guys, all your guests must notice that they have also taken out the requirement of those testing that your sister said earlier, testing them to death. No, they're not going to test them to death because they've gotten all the profit from testing that they can get. My last point is this to you guys, separate but unequal when we're all in this boat together is absolutely absurd. As I told you before, in Montgomery County, you're right, brother, there's a a mixing bowl of of Latino, Vietnamese, and, and, and white, but the standard has remained white, and, and it's not a matter of success. I'm a, uh, can I be honest with you guys? I'm an affirmative action guy, right behind Clarence Thomas, who was an affirmative action guy, who's now against affirmative action. But the idea that we progress and we regress at the same time is the hypocrisy of this country. Mm. I love you guys. Good conversation. Thank you, Walter. Then again, Hogan didn't give. Now, now you can check this, Mark, and have your, your staff check this. He didn't give a percentage.
percentage of the money that was approved last year. But we're supposed to be happy with this clown. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Governor Hogan another day and, and, uh, and, and uh, the schools, but I think this is an important piece of the conversation. I think that one of the things we're coming to here, which we don't have time to get into today, which is that if our goal is to desegregate schools and open opportunity, the, that that can't seem, cannot be seen apart from fully funding city schools in Baltimore to enable the equity of opportunity to exist in the schools that we have at this moment. That's a really important distinction here I think we have to talk about. That's not the conversation today, yeah. but I think it's really important. So it's so and critically important because what's about to happen to our children in Baltimore is not just a tra- travesty, I think it's a crime, But um, to put it bluntly. So let, let me just throw this idea out of here. So when we are wrestling with the question of what happens to our children and the question of bias with our kids. Um, so in the Howard County schools, they are trying to come up, they come up with this measure of academic progress, which they say has changed the nature of how children are looked at in terms of who goes into AP classes, who goes into which academic classes, and kind of trying to end the process of, in the most interracial schools, uh, putting children of color uh, either in remedial classes or not allowing them the opportunity to go into AP classes. Before we went on the air, I was texting with my youngest daughter who had gone to Marietta, Georgia um, high school, uh, which was 80% Mexican or black, and the rest was mostly white kids. Um, And she was an IB, and she was saying that the majority of kids in her class were white, uh, who were in IB, and especially if you took the kids who were in all IB classes, not just select IB classes. And he said there was a real discrimination in how people were viewed in her opinion, how teachers viewed children of color who were her classmates that uh, were no less bright than she and should have been an IB. So I mean, that, that, to me, so that, that to me is the heart of the issue here. How do you begin to address that? Can I respond Gail, and then we'll go to Marisol. Oh, yeah. okay? And then we'll over to you. I, I thought the article on Howard County really captured um, a large part of why black kids, Latino kids don't end up in IB classes. Um, they relied on teacher judgments, or they relied on the advocacy of parents, and um, particularly teacher judgments can be biased. So I don't know how good a measure this measure of academic progress is, but they are moving in the direction of trying to use more objective measures. Um, so so that that is a, is a good is a good thing. I forget the rest of your question. <laughs> well, we were just talking about what you know that 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 how 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 do we begin to right. So the other thing I would say for that is that, um, uh, y- you know, kids often can do very well in an IB AP classes. Um, um, to go a step further than what Howard County is doing is to make sure that um, kids all along the way have support that they need to do well in those classes, do well in their other classes so that they are developing the background to um, be able to take those classes. Yep, thank you. I think, thank you. I think it's also, for, for on the county level, it starts in policy. So mm-hmm. Baltimore County, we have a equity policy. It's our first policy on the books, um, and it requires just, a, among a few things, identify annually whether the discipline process has any disappor- uh, disproportionate impact on minority English language learner status students or a negative impact on special education students. We have to report annually on the employment, retention, recruitment, recruiting and placement of persons of underrepresented groups. So if we start with policies that force us to look through a lens of equity on when we're when we're establishing curriculum, when we are, uh, which Baltimore County writes their own curriculum. So we're able to now, you know, we, I, the, the superintendent and his staff listened to the students and the students said, all right, we know a good amount about Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. Give us something else. So they're rewriting the curriculum that allows for further education on African-American history, allows for education uh, with the Latino-Hispanic culture. Uh, so when we, when we, put that in policy and writing and require that of the administrators, then that's what they have to do. They have to, we have a new grading and reporting policy where they've done a lot of research that children who um, have parents that are working, when they have to go home and do homework and they're graded on that homework and they have to come back and bring that, but they haven't had a chance to do their homework, let alone because they were busy feeding their little brother and sister while their mom was working, that, that then 
deteriorates that student's grade. And so we're then we're that's racially motivated, that's socially economic mo- economically motivated. So if we have again policy grading reporting policy, equity policies, um, we have uh, if we would put something in place, we we're working on new GT testing similar to Howard County, I believe, because right now it's very uh, teacher and parent driven. So my child goes to a certain school, there's too many minorities in that school. Well, my kid, as long as they're in GT classes, my white kid, as long as they're in GT classes, they're going to be okay. So you see a lot of parents in fourth and fifth grade advocating for their student to be in GT, whether they're really eligible for GT or not, just so they're not in, in classes with black students. So we need testing. We need qualitative and quantitative testing to figure out whether our children are really should be in GT or whether they've just got loud parents. And, and I'll just say, you know, Let's remember that how we do policy matters, right? The reason that policy exists is because the advocacy of some of the black parents and the, and the elders counseled and others. And that's the only way that policy is durable because you can be held accountable. It's also not, we're not sure that the evidence is still not in as to really how, how, how those students are doing, right? So the numbers are better, the suspensions are down, the GT scores are up, but how, what is their holistic life course? We have to really look like, so the Center for Positive School Climate is looking at deeper things. They're looking at trauma stuff, right? Because our kids are traumatized. And by the way, our A scores are normal are normed on, on white folks, white middle class folks, and not poor uh, black and brown kids. And so we have to really look at trauma. We got to look at restorative and healing practices, racial justice and equity, social and emotional learning, and building and engaging classroom communities. And part of that, you know, and, and they'll tell you in Howard County, there is a unexamined legacy of racism. People, th- th- there are some racist teachers that do not know they're racist. And they're well-intending, meaning people, and 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 they're getting teachers from other counties where where this is deeply embedded generationally, and they do not have a mechanism to examine it, and they need and and so and so they're doing amazing work in terms of developing the leadership pipeline internally, but some of this work you you have to have outside facilitators. I can think of nobody better than the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond the Undoing Racism. It is the red pill of racial equity work that I've been doing around the country so, the last I mean, three I, years. I, I would I mean I would maybe pushback only in a sense that and this, I get some critique for this but that's okay I think it's something we have to wrestle with on a larger scale but I think there are a lot of teachers a lot of human beings in this culture who are not even aware mm-hmm. that what they're doing is racist and, and people don't want to say oh don't excuse people they can't make excuses for you but I think the reality is um, that when a teacher says to a student are you sure you're you're ready for this AP class. Maybe you really should think about the other class because you know, I don't think you're really prepared. While there could be a kid that they relate to more because that child is white mm-hmm. and who may be even more a mediocre student than the other child they just spoke to, saying, look, I think you're really smart and I think you, you'd have an opportunity if, we, if you went to this AP class, you might really excel. You should try it and not fall back away from it. I think that those kind of things is, are, the, are, the, are the toughest things to get under but that's one of the things you have, we have to figure out how to get under if we are, in fact, going to change anything. Well, they've got implicit bias tests. They've got hundreds of them now. And so you can take that. But then the other thing is you got to ask the harder question, Mark, is what's the culture that's, that, that's, that's incubating that stuff? I mean, this kid, that ju- this guy that just killed these folks, that killed the guy, went to friends in Baltimore. Right. Right. I, I'm not saying he was radicalized at friends. No, I don't think right? so. Right. <laughs> but but the point is, but and, and this is a hard question for friends. Right. What is what is friends not doing that would have made his radicalization? Wait, I, ra- I, I, wait, I his radicalization less like. Listen, I'm from a Quaker community and I'm just saying you can't let folks get through a process. They, they've right, got some challenges there, take, too. I don't want to get in the sidebar. You cannot take one student with completely aberrant behavior. Who committed a terrorist act against black folks in New York and say, friend school, what did you do wrong? No, I didn't That's say, I, I didn't, I didn't say, I wasn't ridiculous. blaming friends. I'm saying if they have some racial problems at friends, which they do. Of course they do. Right? So the question is, what do you use? Do you lean into that? to that example to say, listen, we're not owning this, but we're going to not run from it either. We're, we're going to lean into this and say, you know what? We're going to look at what the culture that we're incubating here. And and it, and it may this is a, this is an, an anomaly and an aberration. But what what can we double down that makes so, this less likely to happen? I, th- I think it might make more sense for them to look, lean into why the majority of white kids who graduate from Friends carry bias inside them that they have not addressed while they were friends. That's, that's the more important question than saying. dealing with this crazy aberrant human being who deeply racist man who did what he did. That's what I just said. It didn't sound like it. Yeah. <laughs>
the, the culture that incubates so, that. Can I interject yeah, here? I think that's one of the benefits of integrated schools is that if the more um, opportunity you have to interact with um, um, diverse students, um, you see them for what they are. And I would also, um, I, kn I know people have attitudes and biases and all of that. I think sometimes those are very hard to change, but I think you can start to develop teacher skills and knowledge around how do you teach diverse students, how do you teach different kinds of students, how do you bring in a curriculum that appeals to um, a range of issues, how do you deal with these um, um, discipline mm -hmm. issues. So, so that's the approach that I take, is that you have to look at the policies, the practices, um, the conditions in the school, and how can you deal with those so that um, all students are getting what they need. And, so, go ahead, Myers. And and we can't even have those discussions, which we need to have, oh. until we have an administration, a superintendent, and his right. administration that's willing to have those discussions, and, and a, a board, board. that's going <laughs> to pass things like the equity mm -hmm. policy. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that, that Dr. Dance would have been fired, but his job has been very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, the board was very was different than the board is now. There are three people of color on the, on the school board, and all three were appointed by Governor O'Malley. Governor Hogan has not. He had the opportunity to appoint right. four or five additional uh, school board members, and they're all white, male, and female. And they're coming it, for dance. I, yes, I, I, they I are. I can see that from absolutely. the outside. They absolutely are. Mm -hmm. And it, it is, we are, we, and I mean, just in our school board meetings, we oftentimes don't even talk about education. We talk <coughs> about um, portable air conditioning units. So we have to be talking about education and how we can educate all of our students. Because if we're still just talking about a sliver of our community, we are not empowering all of our students. And until we have a conversation about every single child in our, our, our community, in our, in our system, we, we are doing them an injustice. And that includes poor white kids and, and white is a great unexamined. Mm -hmm. Because again, that is how we we incubate a culture that, that, that has these intolerances. Absolutely. So I do want to apologize here to Marion and, and Dwayne and others who are just calling in now uh, because we are up against the clock and can't get any more phone calls, but I wish we could. So that just means given the intensity of the subject and given the uh, really depth and intensity of the conversation we've been having here on the Mark Steiner Show today with our, our all of our guests, um, that uh, we will come back to this. I think it's a really important subject for us with. You just heard the voice of Michael Scott, who is Chief Equity Officer of Equity Matters. Good to have you, brother, in the studio, as Thanks. always. Thank always you. love to have you here. Gail Sunderman, uh, Director of the Maryland Equity Project good to, at the School of Education at the University of Maryland. Uh, good to have you here, Gail. Welcome to the program. And Marisol Johnson, also wonderful to have you with us, Vice Thank Chair, um, Second Council District, Baltimore County School Board. Good to have you it's in the studio. great fun. Thank you. And folks, we're going to we're going to take a short break. When we come back from the short break, we'll be dealing with the what seems to be an onslaught of attacks on transgender people and murders of transgender people in our community and around the country. Stay with us.